Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guests. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to study a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. Good morning. For those of you who are visiting with us, I'm filling in this morning for um, both Adam and Tyler in that they're away at Lads the Leaders, and so uh, hopefully we'll all benefit from from this lesson this morning. God works, and the full title of this lesson, God Works, and is working still. Um, you know, there are many ideas about God. And as you see there on your handout, if you chose to get one, I have it listed, evolution, God created and left, and God created and continues to work. You know, the evolutionists say that well, a long, long time ago, billions of years, that there was a single point of matter of all the matter that we can see today and is no bigger than the end of this pen. And for some reason, it chose to explode, and everything's expanded out everywhere. And after billions of years, the earth formed, and after billions more years, life began to come, and we are where we are today. That's the evolutionist theory of God in that he doesn't exist. And so he's not working. He can't be working. And then another theory is that, yes, there is a God, and yes, he created everything we see, but... When he rested on the seventh day, he's continuing to rest. He created all and he left and it's on its own. He set everything in order and it's been running since and he's been doing nothing since that time. And then there's what the Bible says is that God created and in six days he completed that creation. And on the seventh day he rested from creating. He didn't rest from working. God has, as the Bible reveals to us, has been working. And for us, in the beginning, God began working for us and he continues to work. God works in his promise to all. In that first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, and in particular in verse 15, he speaks there about a promise that he made to all. And Adam talked about that in just a few lessons ago in that there he promised that there would be enmity between the seed of man, the seed of woman and Satan. And that Satan would bruise his heel and that that seed of woman would crush his head. And so we recognize that as a promise to all. Later, to the children of Israel, through Isaiah, God in Isaiah seven fourteen, they are revealed that a virgin would conceive and bear a son, and his name would be called Emmanuel. And there's a lot of theories about that, but the most commonly accepted thing that it's talking about is that that is looking forward to Christ. And because we know that in Matthew, that when he's born there, he was to be called Emmanuel also. God is with us. And so God works in his promises to all. He also worked in his promises to the patriarchs. 
in Genesis chapter 12, it was to Abram there that he began to reveal his plan. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Genesis 3, you'll bruise his heel, he'll bruise your head, then narrows it down a little bit to Abram and says, Abram, it's going to come through you, and through you, everyone will receive a blessing. Then he repeats to him another blessing in Genesis 13, verses 14 through 18. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes. Now, if you remember when he was in the Ur of the Chaldees and then when he was in Haran after his father died, God told him, says, go out from the people, from your people to a land that I will show you. Abram has done that and now he's in this land and God says to him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward and westward for all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. Now, Abram had gone out on faith in that God had said, go to the place that I'll show you. Here, God says, this is the place and you're going, you and your people will be here and I will make it yours. And can continue on in that more about the people and that they'd become as dust of the earth, as the stars of heaven, as the sand on the seashore. And those, they'd become numerous. So numerous it'd be impossible to number them. Then to bring that a little further down, Abram, as you know, had Isaac and Isaac had Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And of those 12 sons, one was sent into Israel by his brother selling him to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites took him down, sold him the house of Potiphar. You're all familiar with that story, how that it occurred with Joseph and all the things that happened to him, seemingly terrible for a while, until he's brought out of prison and he's made second in all of Egypt, only Pharaoh being greater than him. And then God gives him the interpretation of those dreams is how that comes about. Seven years of plenty and then the famine begins and his family comes to buy grain and they end up, Joseph reveals himself to them and they're concerned later that Joseph is going to take revenge. But prior to that, when he reveals himself, he says, God sent me before you to preserve life. Now, again, God had said to Abram, through you all nations will be blessed. It appeared as if they were going to die of starvation, but yet because Joseph was sold into slavery, because he was given those dreams to interpret, or not, not his dreams, but he was given the interpretation of those dreams, that then he's in the position to preserve the life of that family through whom that blessing of all the earth was going to come. And he says to his brothers, and that was in verse 5, where God sent me before you to preserve life, in verse 8 that Genesis 45, it's not you who sent me here, but God. Now, you know, if I'd been Joseph, I'd be hard-pressed while I'm being thrown into a pit by my brothers and while they're talking about slaying me, and then they pull me out, and I'm thinking I'm going to die, but then they sell me for silver to the Ishmaelites. I'm carried into a foreign country, put on the auction block, and sold again. Then I'm accused of rape, attempted rape, and I'm thrown in prison, and then I'm given by God the interpretation of dreams and ask the one man, don't forget me. And for a few years, he forgets him. Joseph later says, God sent me here. Sent me here to preserve life. <clears throat> then on that same chapter, Joseph is still alive. They go back, the brothers go back and tell his father, Jacob, 
Joseph's alive. They knew they they didn't know whether he was alive or dead. They knew the last time they saw him, he was alive, even though they lied to their father and said, "We found this robe. Is it his? Looks like it's torn by beast and blood all over it." And that allowed their father to think he'd been dead for some time. Joseph is still alive, and he's ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart became numb, for he did not believe them. Verse 26 of that 45th chapter of Genesis. But then a little later, after they continued to talk to him and try to convince him, he said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. <clears throat> now, Jacob is about 130 at this time. He's about 130 years old. Can you imagine packing up everything you own and moving to a foreign country when you're 130? I can't imagine doing that if I was 30, even though I'm beyond that now. Can't imagine doing that at my age, packing up everything I own and moving to a foreign country, into a foreign land. So Israel took his journey, that's in verse 40, chapter 46, with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba, and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And then he said, I am the God, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make of you make you into a great nation. God said to Adam and Eve, there's coming, there's a promise. Said through Isaiah, there's still a promise. Said to Abram, through you nations will be blessed. Sent Joseph ahead to preserve life. Jacob at 130 years old says, should I really go down there? And God appears to him in a vision and says, yes, go on down there. Go. God, working all this time. Why? To preserve life himself. And so God sent Jacob on there. It was there in that incubation place of the land of Goshen in Egypt that the nation of Israel was born and began. Then near the end of the book of Genesis where Joseph is nearing the end of his life. He says to those that are remaining, to the sons of Israel, to all those that were alive at that time, he said, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. God had allowed Joseph somehow, that's what we're given, to know that at some point God is going to come, and that great nation that he promised to Jacob, is God is going to bring it out. God is working. And then he works in the leading of the children of Israel. In Exodus 13, 19, not to cover the full part of, the, of that, we know how Moses was called by God, by seeing the burning bush and how God sent him down and all those plagues that came upon the nation of Egypt and that finally they let the children of Israel go and how they crossed the Red Sea. But here, Exodus 13, 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. All those years later, from the time of Joseph's death till they left, that promise that God had made through Joseph is, God will surely visit you, and when you leave, carry my bones up from here. Moses recalled that. Moses knew that. And when the children of Israel left Egypt, they took the bones of Joseph with them. God is working still. That's a confirmation of that promise God had made through Joseph, and it's being fulfilled through Moses. Then God is guiding them in that 
couple of verses later in the 21st verse, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. God showing the way, showing the way day by day. We could go to other places and see that when the As long as the pillar remained on the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, they stayed. When the pillar went up, whether it be fire or cloud, they began to pack up and they moved and the pillar led them. God was leading them through that wilderness. He was leading them all the time. God was working to preserve his people to fulfill his promise. And it was with them throughout all their journeys. From the time that it appeared to them, it led them all the way to that eastern side of the Jordan River. That pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, led them all the way there. God was working and leading them and taking them into the promised land. In Deuteronomy 1, 6, God says, The Lord God said unto us, said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland, the Negev and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, if you remember back as we were looking at Abram, after Lot had left him and God says, lift up your eyes and look, look to the north, the south, the east and the west, all this land I'll give you. God just described that land again here to Moses when he said, you've been around this mountain long enough, it's time to go and go into the land. And the land he described was everything Abram could see and had traveled on from the north to the south, the east, and to the west. God says, go in and take it from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. That's the north and the south. From the great sea to the Jordan River. And we know they had some on the other side of the Jordan River. But God described all that here. He says, it's time to go and take that that I promised long ago to Abram, to the one they call their father, Abram. Then down in Joshua, the next book, flip over a book or so. And in Joshua here, Moses, my servant is dead. Arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving them. And we could go through all through all of that and continue every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon. I have given to you just as I promised Moses. God had promised Moses. He's continuing to work. God is working to get his people into that promised land. No man shall be able to stand before you. Verse 5. All the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. Or forsake you. God is making this promise now to Joshua. Joshua, just as I was with Moses, just as I led him, just as he led these people, I will be with you. You will lead these people, and I'll be with you. I'll never forsake you. Imagine how that would strengthen Joshua to know that he had seen, because he was one of two men that left Egypt, that was older, 20 years and up, that's now entering into the promised land. Only he and Caleb. They had seen all the plagues that God had done upon Egypt. They had crossed on dry land through the Red Sea. They had gone to the mountain. They had heard God speak from the mountain. They had seen all the things that he had done there. They had gone to Kadesh Barnea. 
They had been spies sent into the land. So Joshua had already seen that land. And he came out and he spent that 40 years in wandering. And now here he is about to go in. And God says, just like I was with Moses, I will be with you. Be strong, courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Verse 9, Joshua 1. So here God is telling Joshua, I'm working, Joshua, and I'm working for my people, and I'm working for you. And I will lead you into that land, and I'll take care of you, and you will overcome. Joshua 21, verse 43, thus the Lord gave Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. He fulfilled his promise in that land of rest. He gave them rest all around. Now, did that mean the wars were over? No, they would still have to fight battles. But the major part of taking that land, God had accomplished through the Joshua and the people. God worked. He worked so often. And it'd take us a multitude of days to talk about all the things that God did in helping them to achieve the taking of that land. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. In that next verse, 44, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All had come to pass. Joshua 21, 45. <clears throat> God began to work on that day that mankind became fallen in that promise of that seed. God continued to work and he continued to reveal that promise in to Abram. And he continued in that he repeated it to Isaac and to Jacob. And then he fulfilled that promise of that land that he had made to Abram in the days of Joshua. <clears throat> not one word failed. God does not fail. God is working and he's working still. Now using that in that the children of Israel were in bondage. God brought them out of that bondage, led them during that time, and took them into that land of rest, that land of promise. Let's jump forward to that time of that promise of that Savior. In Luke chapter 1, verse 27, <clears throat> to a virgin named Mary, betrothed to a man who was uh, Joseph of the house of David, and her name was Mary. God begins to reveal now it's closer. It's closer in time. Verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, the angel said to her. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. God says to Mary, Mary, you're going to have a child. And that child is going to be the Son of God. And that Son of God will become king forever. Now, can you imagine? First of all, an angel talking, standing, talking with her. She had to be a little bit frightened. Thus the, don't be afraid. And then the message she's given, you're going to have a child. Now, she's a virgin, never known a man. And God says, you're going to be overcome by the Spirit. And in your womb, a child will be formed and it'll be a man and he will become king. God was working in bringing about his birth. We'll turn back to Matthew chapter 1 
And Joseph, the son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph had concerns. He and Mary were betrothed, not yet officially married, but a betrothal was stronger than what we call an engagement, but not yet married. And she's found to be with child, and Joseph's concerned, and he, being an honorable man, was going to privately, privily or privately put her away. Because he didn't want to embarrass her and that sort of thing. So that shows you what kind of man Joseph was. And in a vision, in a dream at night, he's told to go ahead and take her. She'll bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill that which was spoken of by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Remember, as I began this lesson, we were back... In Isaiah 7, 14, it was there in Isaiah that God made that statement. And here again, God is saying to Joseph in this dream, it's going to fulfill that statement I made in Isaiah, that the virgin would bear a son and his name would be Emmanuel. Jesus was born. We're not given a whole lot about his early life. Well, you know, we have this, the birth and his presentation at the temple. And then we see him again when he's about 12, when he goes and he stays in uh, Jerusalem after his parents left thinking he was in the company and they come back and find him. But God is leading. God is working even as Christ, as the human part of him is growing and maturing and becoming a man. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. God, in revealing through John about Christ, declares him to be the Word. Also declares him to be God. Declares him to be there in the beginning. So... This child that was born of Mary was God. This child that was born of Mary, the, as we say, the God portion of him, the holy portion of him, had been working all along to bring about this very event. Then when we jump down to verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, sons of God, daughters of God. who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. God brought it all about. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here, this promise made all the way back in the beginning, Genesis 3.15. The promise repeated down through the ages. The promise kept in having a people through whom he would come. The promise kept that the people heard in Isaiah 7, 14. God works to fulfill that promise, and now that Savior has been born, and he is in the world. In Luke chapter 2, I have several verses there. We're not going to do that for the sake of time. 
But in verse 49, and he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? That's when he's about 12 and he's in Jerusalem. They've gone to Passover. They leave and they come back and they find him in the temple. And he's been answering questions and asking questions. And they are amazed that this young man is able to do that, this 12-year-old boy. But he says to them, didn't you know this is where I'd be? Didn't you know I would be here? They said, we've been searching for you. And he said, you should have known I'd be here working in my father's house. Then as he begins his ministry, he's about 30 years old and he goes to where John is baptizing. And he's baptized of John. And the next day, John sees him coming again and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I remember about 30 years before that angel had, in that vision, excuse me, to Joseph. Joseph was told he will save his people from their sins. 30 years later, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God is still working. He hasn't quit. Even though we're not given much about Christ's life, he's been working the whole time, bringing it about so that at the right time and in the right day, Jumping back to Matthew, Matthew 16, 24, Christ said to his disciples there, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Again, for me, the key point is follow him. Take up the cross and follow him. Now, after John was arrested in Mark 1.14, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. He proclaimed it, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, in verse 15. Then in Luke 4 and 42, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. He's been proclaiming this gospel, this good news of the kingdom, that repent and be baptized, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John had said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. They're, they're warning these things, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of this kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And then he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So he's been in Galilee, and now he's in Judea, and he's going back and forth, and wherever he goes, they want him to stay right there. Stay there and keep doing these things. Keep preaching to us. Keep teaching us. Keep telling us about God and about this kingdom that's coming. Now remember, I said the important part in that Matthew 16, 24 to me is Christ says, follow me. Well, in Mark 1, 16, as he was passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, and he said to them, follow me. And they left, and they followed him. And as he continued on, he saw James and John, and he said to them, follow me. And they did. They left their father there. They had a thriving business, and they left it to follow him. And as he passed by later, he was out preaching again by the seaside, and he passed by and he saw Levi, and he said to Levi, follow me. Do you get the repetition? Follow me. God, through Christ, is saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. The demon-possessed man 
We know that it was there, and that, that's a long, but I want to shorten it up and look at just a little bit of it for the sake of time. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had been, who had, had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. These people were afraid because this guy had been unable to be chained, unable to be bound. They could do nothing with him. And here he is, sitting meekly and mildly in his right mind at the feet of Jesus, and they don't know how that occurred. They've heard how that he cast demons out, and it went into this herd of swine, about 2,000, and they dashed headlong down the hill into the sea and drowned. Who is this man? And so Jesus is going to leave because they're saying, we want you to get out of here. We want you to leave our country. And the demon man who had been demon-possessed wanted to go with him, and he begged him that he might be with him, but he didn't permit him. He said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord's done for you and how he has had mercy on you. God working. This man, the demons cast out, and God puts him to work in his kingdom. says, you go and you tell them. And many people believed as he began to proclaim about what Jesus had done for him. A centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death in Luke 7. He sent to Jesus and said, if you would come to my house and heal him. And the people around, the elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal. And they were talking about what a good man he was and he was worthy of this. And Christ was going with them. And then the centurion sent friends and said, don't trouble yourself. Don't come to my house. I'm a man under authority like you. I say go and they go, come and they come. If you but speak the word, my servant will be healed. Christ said of him, I've found, not even in Israel have I found such faith. God was working in that great faith of a centurion, a Roman, a one who had this people in this area. They were under his dominion. And yet, because he saw the people and because of his nature, he'd done great things in that area. And it's proven when he says, there's no need for you to even come. I've heard of you, I know of you, if you but speak, it will happen. Remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees say, give us a sign and we'll believe. This centurion says, I don't even have to have a sign, you just speak and it'll happen. God is working. The Samaritan woman at the well, he told her everything. She went and told the people, says, he told me everything about me. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. He said to her, I who speak to you am he. He told her, said, I am the Messiah. And she told the people. The people came out, they heard him, and he stayed there several days. And they, many of them believed on him. God was working even with the Samaritans who were despised by the Israelites. They were counted less than a dog. God's working with them. John 6, 48, I'm the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, verse 51. Anyone eats this bread, he'll live forever. God's working in that he's revealing that it's in me you will live forever. The Pharisees have been hearing these things he's doing and wanted him arrested. There he is on the temple grounds and they send the officers. They have their own temple police and they send them to arrest him. Some of the people there wanted him to be arrested. But no one laid hands on him, verse 44. Verse 45, when the officers came back, the chief priests and the Pharisees said to them, Why did you not bring him? 
Their answer was, no one ever spoke like this man. The things that he taught, the things that he said, the things that he did, convinced even those who were sent to arrest him that he wasn't worthy of it. God was working there and that these temple officers who were to carry out their orders didn't follow them. John 8, 12, Christ said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, follow me. Do you want to walk in the light? Follow him. As he's on his way to Jerusalem to be arrested, to be crucified, to be buried, to be raised again, he stops at the house of Martha and Mary and his friend Lazarus. And there, Martha is busy preparing that meal, and Christ is teaching, and Mary's not helping. She's sitting at his feet. And Christ, Martha comes to her and comes to him and says, Tell her then to help me, in verse 40. Jesus, tell Martha, tell Mary to come help me. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The good portion. She had chosen... Jesus and was going to follow him. She's going to follow him. God's working in that Martha's busy in being a good host. Mary's busy in learning more about the kingdom. Christ says, I'm the good shepherd. God is working and depicting himself as a good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life, which Christ did. God works by making it possible to enter that eternal rest. Remember that God made that promise to Abram. Go to the land I'll show you, and I'll give you this land to all your people. And then and Joshua led them in. They took that land, and not one promise failed. God gave them rest all around. Well, God's made it possible for us to enter that eternal rest. Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And the prayer was, <clears throat> as he was going before he went to pray, he says, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here. Watch with me. The prayer, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Showing that even though he's a son, as the Hebrew writer says, he learned obedience. Even though he was a son, he said, it's not me, but your will, father. Yours. If this must be, let it be. God is working to to secure that eternal rest. Again, he came back and he went back, prayed the same prayer, and he did that the third time. He's arrested. God was working and leading through those trials. The high priest stood up. Have you no answer to make of all the things being said against him? What it is that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. He didn't say anything. He's working through silence. The high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And he said to him then, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Christ is working. He, The accusations which were false, he made no answer. Are you the Son of God? You said so, and I'll prove it when you see me coming in the clouds. He's led away. He's delivered. They lead him bound, and they deliver him over to Pilate, Mark 15, 1. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? That's the accusation. And he answered them, You have said so. In other places, he said, 
Are you asking of yourself or did they tell you this? And so they carry him out to be crucified and they led him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and one on the left. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Here he's being, he's working through the leading of that spirit and that attitude of forgiveness. Now that doesn't mean they were forgiven immediately, but that means that he's willing to forgive them. Willing and ready, even those who are putting him to death. And he leads after the resurrection. There were, they, in Luke 24, 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. This is the disciples in that room that's closed and locked and said, peace be, peace to you. They were startled and frightened. And he said, why are you troubled? Why do you doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, see my feet, that is I myself touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed him his hands and feet. Then he reminds them, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He covered what all of what we call the Old Testament in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. He said, everything there written about the Messiah was written about me, and it had to be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand. Thus it's written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Many people today, today the world over, and they stop and they remember that one thing that happened long ago, that resurrection, and that's great because without him rising from the dead, you know, we often talk about, oh, he, he went to the cross and he died for us. Absolutely, he died for us. But had he not been raised, as Paul was inspired to write, we of all people would be most miserable because his resurrection from the death, never to die again, is that earnest of the Spirit that the same can occur for us. God and Christ are still working. He's working for you and he's working for me even now. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God, even before he created this world, planned for his son, for Jesus, to be the redemption of the world so that all can take advantage of that and be saved. Let not your hearts be troubled, John 14, 1. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Christ told his disciples there, later we call them apostles, I'm going, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to sit down and do nothing. I'm going and I'm going to continue working. I'm going and I'm preparing a place for you. He's preparing a place for them. He's preparing a place for us. He's still working. In verse 6 of that same chapter, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We get to that land of eternal rest through Christ. 
The Israelites got to that land of eternal rest by following that cloud, by following that pillar of fire. It got them to there, and God led them through that Jordan River, again on dry land. They entered into the land, and they had that battle, multiple battles, and then God gave them rest on every side. John was inspired to write in chapter 21, verse 25. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did that were not written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the whole books that would be written. Hebrews 7, when there's a change in the priesthood, Christ was that change in the priesthood. There is necessarily a change in the law. The law was changed. The old law done away. Another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, who was that king and priest of Salem, without beginning, without end, no heritage, no mother, no father, nothing written about him more. In that type is the way Christ was. A better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. It was not without an oath that all those uh, Israelite high priests were. They had an oath. This one made a, made a priest, talking of Christ, with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus a guarantor of a better covenant. That better covenant he's the guarantor of. Verse 25. Or 24, 25, he holds the priesthood permanently. Consequently, he is able to save to the othermost those who draw near to God through him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Christ says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. The Hebrew writer says he's there and he's working by continually making intercession for us. John 5, 17. My father's working until now. And I am working. God continues to work. He worked for all of mankind. He's continuing to work for all of mankind. He works for our physical needs. We often pray and thank him for those material blessings that we receive and we do and we should. He continues to work in that fashion. In our spiritual needs, he provided the way for us. He sent the comforter and the comforter inspired these men to write these books as we call them so that we can know about God and know the way and find that that cloud that fiery pillar also we can follow it because we have the word of God that we can always look at and study he's still working on those needs until we return until he returns and he'll continue working in them are you following him just as he said to Peter and Andrew, just as he said to James and John, just as he said to Levi, follow me. And he's made that way. He's made the way to where we can enter that land of eternal rest. God works. He's been working and he continues to work. He's working today. He's working for you. He's working for me. Will you take advantage of that by, if you haven't been obedient to that gospel, by being obedient? Or if you have and you've gone back, to come and ask him to forgive you. We'll pray with you and for you. If we can help you in any way, come while we stand and sing.